Hey, Patty. So uh, today we had Keith Sampson, a popular guest, uh, expert on dual pricing and everything. I thought it was a really passionate uh, exchange. He is one of the most passionate people I know in this business. But he uh, really is. He it's really a good is. thing that he's passionate about, I think. Yes, and absolutely. We had a very great discussion between the three of us, I think. Uh, yes. That people will find some real interesting insights. Yeah, talking about dual pricing, compliance, a lot of these kind of uh, big things. And then also talking about CERB, which is the the processing company that he now heads up uh, and what they're doing with dual pricing and some really pretty cool stuff. I think if uh, you're interested in that topic, you'll find it very interesting. I move on and just give a really quick tip on how to close more merchant accounts by separating getting a yes from the paperwork and how to overcome this stalling tactic of, oh, call me back, call me back, call me back and all that. So we talk about that. And then Patty, tell us about the insiders. Uh, we talk about ATMs and, you know, why ATMs is not uh, old school. It really, you know, there's there's a gro- there's growth and there's opportunity there. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. So uh, I would like to give a little disclaimer. So Keith Sampson, uh, you know, serve these are not consulting clients, not advertising partners or anything like that. Um, but just a great conversation with an industry expert. And of course, this episode is brought to you by Nativia Banking. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with our good friend, Keith Sampson. How are you doing today, Keith? I am doing fantastic. I love Absolutely that. Absolutely great. I awesome to hear, Keith. Yeah, so, uh, of course, uh, big news recently is uh, Keith launched Serve, which I know we're going to be talking about quite a bit today. Um, but before we yep. dive into that, and specifically dual pricing, which, of course, continues to be a hot topic, really looking forward to getting your thoughts on that as an industry expert in that category as well. Um, tell us about your path here. Obviously, we've had you on the podcast several times before, but maybe you could give us a short version of kind of your journey and then maybe even le- you know, what's led you to this latest step of uh, founding a new company called Serve. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, one, I love this industry, right? Uh, I'm ridiculously passionate about it. And uh, even recently, it was at I think it was WSAA. I was on a panel speaking there, mm-hmm. and uh, some you know got done and got to a passionate uh, exchange with an audience member there. And then Sebastian, who who you guys yeah, know as well, came up afterward. He goes, "Man, I think I actually found somebody more passionate about this industry than I am." Right? Because it was just like it was unabandoned, just. Like right, love right. for doing things right. And, um, but that's really where my start came. And as you know, I've been in the industry uh, since 2012. And so for a lot of people, I mean, that's still relatively new, especially to be at the, uh, at the, at the phase of where I'm at in my payments career, right? Um, right? But, you know, I worked for an ISO and then eventually a very large corporate organization and getting to do the partner experience and all that stuff. And last summer, I, I hit a point where it was like, okay, it's time to go all in on me. I just didn't want to wake up anymore with somebody else telling me what to do. Right. And not in a bad way. It was just for me to maximize my own potential. Right. And that's one of the big things I've always been about is growth mindset, pushing your boundaries, going past that next horizon and really maximizing your own individual potential. And it wasn't because I didn't love what I was doing. Um, I wasn't because I didn't love the partners and everything else. It was just, I knew for me to maximize my own potential I had to go all in on me and leading up to that, uh, you know, I'd opened up a retail store as well. I'd always been a sales partner. I had this corporate experience. I had this very unique um, recipe to bring to the industry in a different way. Right. So when I stepped away from that position, I then focused on consulting and training and building my other businesses and just taking the time, right. Mm -hmm. That I wanted to just explore and grow Uh, and, you know, keynote speaking and some of those types of things as well. And then uh, through the course of that, um, 
I was doing consulting for uh, Serve Payments, what I call Old Serve or Patient LLC uh, with Mark Beauchamp. And the opportunity, you know, presented itself towards the end of last year. Hey, if you ever want to do more, you know, there's a place for you here beyond just consulting. And so, you know, with the move on everything to dual price, I kind of started, I kind of painted a picture. Okay, if I'm, you know, there's a really a strong opportunity to bring greater value than I'm doing in my current capacity, what would that look like? And so I put together a plan for 2023 that if he wanted me or other people wanted me to come on board with that organization and do more, this is what it would look like. And it was kind of a, in a, in a very respectful way, a take it or leave it kind of a thing. Like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. If you right. want to do it with me, then great. If not, I'll do it by myself. You know what I mean? And I don't right. say that, like, it wasn't an arrogant thing. It's just like, that's where my dream and my passion was. Right. So long story short, um, that op- opportunity and meeting developed uh, into some other aspects of things, um, which I can't, I don't really want to discuss parts of it. Um, but uh, through some unfortunate circumstances around it, there was the opportunity to uh, to buy out Mark, Right. And um, and so to help him move on to the next phase of his life and his family and everything else. And so that's what that that's kind of how things morphed. Right. Oh, it was not expected. Okay. And oh. so what Sir, new serve is now is essentially a startup with a base. OK, so we have roughly, you know, call it a thousand active mids, a little over 80 million dollars a month in processing. So it's not like we're just starting from scratch or even really a oh. small organization. But to sit there and take that base foundationally and be able to venture and serve as now a joint venture with Michael Nardi and electronic payments. So we kind of get the ability to have a separate company that can be a boutique operation that we're focusing on dual price. And we'll talk a little bit about the three P's here in a minute, but to still have that call it buying power, if you will, of a larger organization that has all of these things. And he's doing some amazing stuff and has been over the last several years and to work very, very closely with him to build something special. Um, You know, that's, that's essentially how we went from some of our past conversations to where here we are now. And uh, you know, Launching something actually, new. It's actually really cool. And I, I think Patty had more info on this than I did. I actually had no idea. I, when I saw the serve name, I kind of was like, oh, I wonder if he like talked to Mark Beauchamp about it. I didn't actually realize that it that there was an acquisition involved or, or whatever, a transition there where that was still yep. there. So yeah, very cool. Congratulations. Well, to be honest, on I didn't know that there, until so. this morning. Okay, well, there you go. That's, that's <laughs> well, great. And that's yeah. thankfully Keith said, no, Patty, that's the old serve. Let that's the old you. serve. Yeah. Okay, good. Cool. Yep. Okay. I love it. So anyway, but that's really cool. I really, I, that's a very cool story, Keith. And, but, uh, you know, one of the things that's, that strikes me is you've long been a proponent of dual pricing. And mm-hmm. I know when I met you, I believe it was at, the last time was at MWAA, you told me about a unique approach that you're taking to this pricing dilemma. Uh, can you, yeah. can, you, can you speak to that first? I, I found that very intriguing. Yeah. So, you know, and you can go back to the podcast that, James and I did uh, mm-hmm. a while ago on dual price and really when, you know, when the card brands started putting their foot down and, you know, James mm-hmm. and I were able to jump on and have a very good conversation around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have been unwavering in my opinion, let's call it that, or, or my non-love of cash discount, right? The, o- the mm-hmm. old way, add a fee, remove a fee. I just was never a fan of it because, you know, as it's come out, hey, guess what? Right. It was no, surcharging, it you know what I mean? Like, but, but bigger than that. strong, strange about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but bigger than that, I never loved it from a customer experience perspective, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that's been, and that's really an area that I built my expertise even outside of payments is customer experience. 
And, and, you know, it's, it's how I operate. It's the core of the retail business that I own, that customer experience is the foundation. It's a lot of what's going into serve is customer experience is the foundation, not just on the partner side, but to answer your question on the merchant side. So what we're doing when we're looking at serve as being, a, you know, we're going to be the dual price experts and it's going to be our focus. Like that is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I even came up with a little phrase, you know, people in our industry wanted to do what was easy and in the process gave up what was right. We're going to make right easy. Okay. So it's beyond, you know, I've been a a big fan of like sitting there saying dual price just isn't a technology solve. It is a customer experience. So how Mm -hmm. can we best equip sales partners to go out and create these experiences in merchants businesses that help lift that merchant up? provide a great experience for their customers that doesn't detract that that allows them to grow and it, you know I'm, I'm all in on value based selling this is why even you know going back to old serve old serve had serve zero i hate using the word zero in anything i hate using like zero fees and i know we have some partners that do that and more power to you that's what you built it on great but here's why i stay away from it cuz the minute you enter into conversation like that it becomes a price conversation instead of a value-based conversation. And so what we're building out is the ability for partners to go into businesses and bring value through the programs that we help implement. Not, oh, it has to be 3% or 3.5 or whatever it is, right? It's the idea is like, hey, we're at 4% and here's why. We're going to do this, this, this. We're going to provide proper price tagging. We're going to proper barcoding. Here's solutions that run it. Here we are creating an entire customer experience that your customers will now see it as a beneficial pricing strategy to how you're approaching all of the economic issues that people currently face and, and doing it the right way and mm-hmm. making it easy for people to go out and sell is really how we're addressing that, what you call that pricing dilemma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think an interesting follow-up to this would be, obviously we've had this whole kind of visa, you know, saga this whole time of their, um, yep. you know, not necessarily shifting their position maybe, but shifting their focus and their emphasis and their compliance actions, right? And things of that nature. So one thing I'm curious about is as we see Visa and even, you know, even if you look at their kind of crackdown on compliance surcharging, meaning not that they're cracking down on it, but that they they basically took all the profit away and said we, you know, so, and I, the reason, I don't know if you saw the quote recently from Visa's CEO, uh, you know, on the uh, mm-hmm. investor call. And so just Visa's making it very clear they are against penalizing people for using their card versus using cash. They don't like that, which is understandable. How do you see this fitting into that? And and do you see Visa making long-term, you know, moves down the road as they start to stamp out what they really hate right now, which is the non-cash adjustment programs? Are they then going to turn their attention to say, well, there's still some of this, you know, differential pricing out there. You know, it just seems that they don't like the concept in general. So I'm kind of, kind of curious your your thoughts on their direction there. And again, so I'm not a lawyer, right? And I'm not a sure. compliance expert. <laughs> I, I do we apply a lot that. of, yeah, you know, hey, you know, little footnote down there, scrolling screen across right. the bottom. Disclaimer. Um, <laughs> yeah, disclaimer, that's the word. So, but what I will say is, again, I study history. I study a lot of common sense stuff. I try to read between the lines, right? And I said this back at the beginning when they first announced, hey, this change is going to take place in April 15th. And I just like cut through the the, the stuff and I said, No, their real goal here is to remove themselves as much from the conversation as possible, right? And to make it where they do have to have a conversation, it's much easier to police. You know, here's the cap. No debt. They redefine stuff, right? I mean, they just made it black and white. Here's what it is. 
But I'm under the firm belief, too, that um, there are people that have a seat at the table. So, again, I'm going to put my retailer hat on. Forget that Mm -hmm. I'm a payments expert. Forget that I'm a dual price expert. I own a retail business, Mm -hmm. okay? There are people that have a seat at my table that can help determine or tell me how much I can charge for my products and services, and there are people that don't have a seat at that table. Okay. And so that's a por- and a very, very important thing for people to understand. And currently, as things are written, card brands don't have a seat at the table to tell me how much I can charge for a pair of shoes or a pair of sunglasses, either a cap or a minimum. Nobody can dictate how much I charge for it. Right. So therefore, in my opinion, they can't dictate that I can't offer two different prices as long as I'm, again, not making people feel penalized for using cards. This is where common sense has to sit there and play, okay? So this is why, again, I think this is a way bigger uh, solution than even cash discount the right way. And I'll explain those here in a a quick second. Number one, if you look at what gas stations truly have been doing for a very, very long time, it's not cash discount. It's never been fee-based. They've always offered two prices based on payment method. Right. Card, you insert your card at the pump, you pay X per gallon. You get out of your car and you walk your butt into the gas station and hand them green dollar bills, you pay X or Y per gallon. Right. They've always had dual price. And that is a customer experience that at least people in our country are used to having. Okay. We don't think twice. The vast majority of Americans still put that card in there, pay more, and don't think anything of it. Right. Therefore, that customer experience is not being driven as, oh, I hate my card issuer. My, you know, I hate the card brands every single time I put my card in the pump. No, we just do it. Okay. So when those types of experiences can be created in a customer experience where people don't feel penalized, that's really the win. Okay. So how do you do that? When we, you know, going back to that gas station thing, and again, I'm not trying to claim some invention of something that didn't happen, clearly communicated. Oftentimes, I can show you a video of a gas station here in town that literally flashes on their digital marquee the different prices, cash, card, cash, card. They are telling us before we pull out the, you know, and do start the transaction how much we pay based on how we pay. So in my opinion, businesses need to do the exact same thing. Now, when you look again, people at the seat at the table who can dictate pricing and how I communicate that pricing, states have a much larger voice than a lot of other entities. Therefore, you see states like New York that sit there and say, you must list both prices on every single item. States that are more uh, gray might say something like, hey, customers must clearly understand what they're going to pay when they pay. Well, can I communicate that with signage? When I walk into a department store and they have a sale on XYZ brand, right? And it's 20% off. Are they repricing everything? Are they clearly communicating it because they have signs everywhere? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So you can have some interpretation there. Now, that being said, I still believe when you pick up a bottle of water and it specifically says $2 or $2.08, I don't care what state you're in, that is the best customer experience, right? So when the customer doesn't have any questions, aren't in for any surprises, don't feel any friction in how they choose to pay or do business, that's the best experience. And that's what we're going to try. That's the, again, try to take what's easy or what's right and make it easy. So how do we do that on a mass scale for partners and merchants of all types, whether they have 100,000 SKUs or they have a menu and it's a diner that does breakfast and lunch and they literally sell 10 items? 
Like, what does that look like to properly create those experiences in a dual price fashion? I mean, a couple of things I do find interesting. I mean, to me, I do still feel that it's an interesting assumption to say that when I pull into a gas station and they have a cash and a card price, I mean, you're, you're saying that that's not penalizing me for using my card? No, it's giving you choice. So again, when you look at things as a pricing strategy, and when you look at actual business, right, mm-hmm. there, is, and, and I think you, you and I had talked about this in the past. Guess what? When people try to go, and this is why I never say, don't ever use the terminology passing on fees to the customer. It just, it's a negative customer experience from merchant to consumer. But when you have a business conversation between business owners, mm-hmm. guess what? You've been passing on your fees day one. It was built into your pricing because when you did your budget for the year and you went through utilities, phone, internet, credit card processing, SaaS fees for this, whatever it is, you're putting numbers in and there's percentages as your costs and expenses of doing business. And when you go to figure out the margins that I have to be at, all of those are built into the price that I have to charge for my products. So forever – businesses have quote been passing on those expenses right so so what what i believe in is as a business i have fixed and variable expenses that equalize no matter how people pay up until they pay okay as soon as that transaction takes place if somebody uses a card i have an additional expense that me as a business owner are required to pay if they pay with cash i have one less expense that I'm required to pay. So why not offer a pricing strategy that gives customers choice? You know, there's a big difference in my mind between a gas station and a CVS, let's say, or, you know, a local bodega, let's just say that. I mean, the number of, you know, with gas, it's what, four different types of fuel, that's it. You go into a bodega, what are are you talking about, you know, putting strips on each product? This is the cash, this is the, the credit? Yep. I mean, that could yep. be sure monumental am. given how many SKUs there are. How, do, how, how, does, how does that all work? It all becomes support. So, so when you feel penalized, and actually, I think there was a, there was a post. It might have been in CC Sales Pro that I jumped on when somebody asked a question, how do you rebut? Well, why don't I just add a 2.5% fee and do it myself? I'm paying 2.4% right. now, all, all right? Common and thing, I, right? Yeah, and I jumped in there with a comment. And, and so my rebuttal, and I just used this a few weeks ago to sell an appliance store that said the exact same thing. Yeah. I said, look, here's the deal. If that's the approach you want to take, then let me set you up with a proper surcharge program that charges 3% on all cards, mm-hmm. 0% on debit, which means you'll pay a little bit to accept the debit cards, but this way you avoid all fines, okay? I can help you do that. We charge a little bit more than what you're paying now because I'm going to provide the product and right. service to help you avoid any issues whatsoever. Or, and, I, and this is very important, if you don't want your customer to feel penalized by having to pay a fee to do business with you, let me implement a dual price program because it comes down to perception, right? Sure. I don't care who you are. We have to remove the payments hat from our heads when we're, when we're mm-hmm. watching or consuming this podcast, right? We are a consumer. If somebody, if you're happy and you're having an amazing experience, I don't care if you're buying a backpack to a mountain bike to whatever, and everything was a 10, the, the, the sales process was awesome. The environment, the music in the store, like you are just blown away with the customer experience and service you got. And you go to pull out your Amex or whatever card it is, and you're going to pay $1,000 for that bike. And they go, oh, we're going to charge you a 3% fee to use your card. Did that 10 stay a 10? Or in our minds, we're still going to whip out our card. We're still going to buy that bike. Right. But it went from a 10 to a 9 or an 8. 
right? And that's the difference in consumer behavior and how we process experiences, okay? Now, maybe I was going to sit there and blow them up. Oh my gosh, this store is amazing, blah, blah, blah. Maybe my phone just went in my pocket. Now that a business isn't going to get the attention from me saying I had this amazing experience. Heck, I might even come back and still buy more stuff, right? But anytime we pay a fee to do business, it's never a good customer experience. Now, likewise, if again, it's clearly communicated that, hey, we offer two prices on every single item. If you pay with cash, you can save a little bit of money. That bike's 1030 in card and 1000 in cash. And you had a 10 the whole time, you know, cool, here's my card. It was 1030 you know what I mean? There's, it's a completely different consumer experience. And I'll say this from experience in my store. I've been now doing it. We've been open since July 1st last year. So now over a year, okay? Our average ticket is like in between 90, in a given, given month, 98 to $112. Mm-hmm. I'm selling $200 pairs of shoes down to $25 pairs of sunglasses, cash price, okay? Every single item, you walk into our store, every single item has two prices on it. The shoes is the only thing that doesn't, and that's a price list on the wall because, again, we're changing out stuff so often, right? right? But every other item has barcodes printed with a clearly communicated card price, cash price. I am still at an 84% card mix payment. Last July when I opened, we did $22,000 in sales roughly. This past uh, July, or sorry, August last year, we did $22,000 in sales. This past August, we did $57,000 and change. Still card mix at 84%, growing like crazy, haven't spent a dime on advertising. It's all word of mouth driven. And so like I get to actually take that personal experience and stack that up against any of the naysayers that say offering a dual price doesn't equal a growing business. Right. Yeah. And I I think the interesting thing to me is I agree with all of that. I think, I think what I found as well is that I think dual pricing, I mean, I saw the data before with non-cash adjustment. It never had a huge hit on the customer as far as their, at least their buying habits. Again, maybe they didn't pick their phone up, you know, right and all that. But I have found it's a better experience both for the customer and the merchant. I guess my main point is just that I don't know that Visa, at least from my research and dealings with them, I don't know that they necessarily agree that it's not a penalty. So in other words, in Visa's mind, I think the idea of dual pricing is still a bit of an enemy to them. I mean, you look at even, you know, surcharging for so long, oh, we're totally fine with that. We're a huge proponent and let's take away all the profit and the incentive to sell it. And then the CEO making that claim the other day. So I do think it'll be interesting to see if they decide to pull a seat up to that table because they have been telling merchants how to price for a long time, you know? Now, now I will I will rebut one thing that you said. So I have always had a little bit different uh, opinion that them dropping the surcharge cap from four to three percent is stripping the profit out of it. Okay, because the profit doesn't come from. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, what, the merchant charges the saying. consumer. Right. Yeah. So so because because I I still have surcharge customers that are getting billed on the back end at three point eight four six one. So it just changes the sales process, you know, and again, that's that idea and why I've never been a fan of zero one. It doesn't work in a tipped environment. There's so many different scenarios, small tickets. So I can't, I'm not going to promote something that you can't do universally across the board. You know what I mean? So now it's just simply going, Hey, look, here's the deal. We can help you offset, offset a significant part of your uh, portion of your uh, expenses. It used to be more. Now we have a cap, but it doesn't change the value that we bring and what we had to build on the back end. So now now instead of paying close to zero, Yeah, now right. you're paying 74 right. basis points or what, whatever it is, sure. you know what I mean, that it comes out yeah, But it's to. like at, at the so, end of the day, Visa doesn't like surcharging. They're discouraging it. Visa doesn't t- tend correct. to like differential pricing. They're enforcing compliance. As of right now, you're correct that I think, and I think the states love dual pricing. That's all, I mean, universally, states tend to love that. State yeah, legislatures so get it. 
So I think, I think we're yep. good there and it'll be a while, but I do think I will, I, what I would say is I wouldn't say I'm hundred percent certain at this point that Visa is not going to pull a chair up to the table at some point and say, you can't offer different prices because somebody used a card, regardless of how you choose to do that. You can't differentiate based on payment method. I think they definitely have the rationale to pull a seat up to that table. And I wouldn't put it past them to do that at some point. They certainly haven't shown an indication of that yet, but all of my point is, I wouldn't say that Visa is like, oh, we're so happy everybody's going to dual pricing. Yay. It's like, no, to them, our customers using our form of payment are paying more than people who don't. They don't like that. That was That's my only point. Yeah. I think they, they don't like well, it, but, well, but I'm not well, sure let's... they have the power. I think that, that, that they yeah. are so worn down by lawsuits that something like that would beg a lawsuit. Yeah, I thought that a year ago too, but we'll see. Well, it just it's yeah, going well, well, to take them taking down the wrong person, the wrong retailer is what I think. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I'll actually jump in because I really personally try to avoid um, the whole lawsuit legal side of things. You know, we're kind of diving a little sure. bit more in depth just because of the nature of this podcast. But honestly, I'm a fan of the card brands. Like I yes. love talking to them. Are. I've got some great friends. I mean, like yeah, they allow sure. us to Me do too. what we do, right? Right. So Me so I'm, I'm, I'm very, very leery on... Um, some speculation and everything, but I will say on the legal side, and and this is also where it goes down to some of the training I'm putting together on why, in my opinion, people have to, if you're going to do dual price, yeah. you have to stop using the terminology cash discount because they are two oh, very agree. different 100%. customer experiences, yeah, right? Sure. But right. when you look at the current laws where businesses like Cloud9 Multisport is allowed to offer a discount for paying cash, correct? That's a law that's right. currently on the books. We can all right. agree upon, Okay. What difference does it make if I offer that discount as a listed two different price or if I say, hey, you save 2% if you pay with cash, right? And this is where, in my opinion, dual price still checks that legal box. Correct. It's still protected under federal time, law. Sure. Right. Exactly, right? So, yeah. so if I sure. go, Good man, point. think about the hurdles that would have to be jumped for, for, for the card brands, as much as I love them, to be able to pull up a seat at my table to tell me mm. how much I can charge. There's those federal laws that are already on the books. There's all the state laws. Like you said, the states uh -huh. love this. There's obviously additional tax revenue when you have anything different. Sure. I mean, there's so many different implications. Yeah. You have all the consumer guidelines. I mean, there are so many. Yeah, I love that. I'm, again, I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. There's so much that would have to take place for the card brands to come in and say, Keith, we can mandate how much you charge for your services. Yeah, like, I agree. Like that's, yeah, that's massive. They, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, they, they have been able to get around a lot of the things with, um, and again, to clarify, I mean, I, you know, I put, I made four or five posts in the last two weeks about how much I am on the side of the card brands with a lot of different things. I mean, this is the one area where I've always had a bit of a difference, as you know, as far as free speech rights and things of that nature. But I think you're right. I mean, as far as federal law right now, um, to come after dual pricing, I mean, would just be flagrantly in violation of that where you know other things are a little more gray area and so yeah i think that's a that's yeah. A good yeah and and that's why i even stand behind the comment made by the ceo right when talking about fee-based programs because of what i said before i don't care if it's a one percent fee the customer experience that we have in our perception is if we have to pay a fee to conduct business it's right. a negative experience right and right. i don't care if it's think about it right you go you go into your local restaurant and now all of a sudden you have to pay a 2% fuel fee, no matter how you pay, because the natural gas went through the roof, right? right. You might understand it, 
but you're not going to like it. No. Right. You know what I mean? Like forget card brands, forget anything that has to do with our industry, right. supplement something else in there in that experience. Natural gas goes up 500%. And instead of businesses changing all their pricing, they go, look, as long as the pricing is 500% higher, we're going to implement a fuel surcharge. I don't care if you pay, how you pay. We just got to do it. You're going to no, be like, what about like I hate this, but you're going to do it. In New York, they did a pandemic fee in the restaurants, didn't they? Right, we- yeah. So yeah, again, you're you yeah. so whenever you're doing that, you're looking at consumer behavior. Exactly. Right. That's an exactly great thing. You might right. understand why it doesn't mean you like paying for right. paying it, right? Right. And, and it doesn't mean that 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 experience, unless you have an immense amount of empathy for what they were dealing with, because you knew it was a short-term thing and it was medically driven, right? right? You have to equal about a bunch of empathy. If that experience still wants to be a 10, like I described in that, you know, buying a mountain bike and you add a fee of some sort, then the level of empathy of why that fee is there has to be equally as high to maintain that 10 experience. How many, I mean, we're talking about sometimes you can have thousands of SKUs. So you're talking about this Mm -hmm. is programmed into some sort of ticket maker? Yep. So so real quick, there's a variety of uh, point of sale systems. One of the ones that I'm a big fan of uh, is Retail Cloud. It's the one I personally use in my store. I don't hold any bones about that, right? I've worked with Kevin and his team on the dual pricing oh, execution, and there's still some things we continue yeah. to tweak and work on. It's what I run in my store. I can tell you I haven't done a SKU search, but between all the brands, all the sizes, all the colors, all the variants, I have a ton of SKUs in that database. Sure. I can go to my back office in our shipping and receiving area, right, where everything gets priced before it hits the floor, and eat and print barcodes for every single one of those items that scans through the system that does the inventory okay. and every single one has card price cash price listed so when you have a system that's foundationally built correctly there should be no skew limit on dual pricing as long as that system doesn't have a skew limit right, right. so some systems out there may go look just because of the speed cloud-based blah 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 we have a hundred thousand cap skew limit at any time you get beyond that we encourage you to parse out all the old stuff otherwise your database is going to take forever to load if it's built right it doesn't matter if it's a thousand ten thousand or a hundred thousand whatever barcodes i need to print should be able to print card price cash price yeah it's funny because i used to be really like having a hard time with that i I remember maybe a year and a half ago or so like man how are we going to do you know one of the big issues i have with dual pricing way back was like even two years ago it was like how this isn't practical, like how are we going to do this? But when I even saw some of the stuff Michael Nardi was coming out with, with the, I don't know, you know, with, he's got the, it's like, it's a different label printer. Like it's really not actually that big of a deal. And like the employees already do this. And I mean, when you go to a business and you're Mm -hmm. like, we're going to do this right. And it's going to save you $6,000 a month. I mean, if they have a lot of SKUs, they have a lot of payment processing fees. So there's a big incentive. Yeah. Yeah. And think about it. So Exit Touch is a great example of where they took, they took the adoption of the changes going through the industry, right? And right. They, they went from the cash discount to the dual price, reinforced it with the Zebra printers available yep. through the Exatouch setup to be able to print the barcodes. I mean, it, 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 Michael and Exatouch is a great example of shifting to right. meet the demand of what the industry needs, right? right. right. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that it takes place. But even, you know, to, take, to kind of kick off what you said, James, even if people have a lot of SKUs, one of the things I've always said is going great, Let's say I've got uh, I've got a, a convenience store with ten thousand SKUs out on the shelf, okay? Right, right. And they go, "Oh my gosh, man! Putting two prices on this that would take forever. That's insane." Okay, let's talk about that. How long do you think is forever? How long would it take? Oh man, it would take me forty man hours. Great. 
do you have any part-time employees? How much do you pay them? Oh, we pay them 15 bucks an hour. So quick math on that is what? 600 Eight, bucks. 750, 600 bucks, yeah. right? To sit there and go, okay, pay your person this much, $600 to reprice everything. Right. How much Save you pay on current expenses? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean like, you know, and then the one-time thing of a $600 right. investment and then you just have to keep it going. Right. So it, again, everything has to do with framing and that's yeah. where sales partners that get really, really versed in selling dual price can be yeah. properly equipped to have those value-based conversations to overcome those objections that they may see in the field as being, oh, that's too hard. Yeah, really? I love it. Yeah. 20 grand too well, hard to compensate for 600 bucks? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, it's funny. Like with the dual pricing, it's, um, you know, it's just difficult not to come up with a good ROI example with that one, right? Because it's like, yeah, but mostly, yep. and again, the more SKUs you have, the more processing volume. So, oh, well, this might take me 80 hours. Okay, you're going to save $50,000 a year. Like what, you know, so yeah, you can literally <laughs> hire one person. You can hire a full-time person for the entire year just to handle your labels and it will still make sense. So um, yeah, yep. I love it. Well, Keith, obviously we need to have you back on. We could go talking to this for a long time on the compliance stuff and all that. Yep. I always love kind of talking to you about this because- you know, you've been in the trenches with it for a long time, putting these programs together. Um, and so it's a lot of fun having those conversations. Um, tell us though, for agents who want to learn more about serve specifically, where do they go to learn more? Yep. And maybe also touch for just a minute, if you would, on some of the resources training that you're developing right now for those partners that are looking for that kind of really compliant. Yeah, yep. Please, that solution. would be great. Yeah. Our website is uh, servepayments.com. Okay. S-U-R-V payments.com. And it's, you know, again, because we're relatively new with a base, it is a landing page with a little bit on it, right? I even popped a little video up there. And at the bottom, there's a quick form that people can fill out if they want to learn more. I'll reach out and have those conversations. On there too, it's just the basic information of what we're going to be doing a little bit different. Um, you know, we have three Ps and I, this is one of the things that oh, we wanted to talk about what Patty and I discussed a little bit at the booth. Uh, I don't know if we have two minutes to talk about the purpose yeah, side of things yeah, or not real quick. Um, but our three Ps are, you know, passion, perfection, and purpose. We're gonna, we've already talked a little bit about passion and like the perfection. <laughs> and we know you price, are right? passionate. So. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> oh yeah, love love this stuff, right? And and love helping businesses succeed and grow, right? Yes. And whether it's partners right. or merchants. Um, but purpose has always been an incredibly big thing. You know, I've got uh, change the world like tattooed on my arm. That's my why of you know what I do every single day. And so I want to tell a story, and because it's critically important that at the point in time where I could do something like this, there was no way I was going to do something like this without a larger purpose being a, sure. a major factor of it. And that's why it's one of our three P's. So um, back in the day, I worked at Wildman Uniform and Linen. I was in the industrial laundry business, selling sales manager, right. VP of sales and all that stuff. About three and a half years in, and I knew the family did quote good things with the money they made um, from the business. So I was a part of that. Didn't know all the details because they kept it very private. Well, three and a half years in, we accomplished a five-year strategic plan of doubling the size of the company. And we were having a celebratory uh, leadership dinner, right? Lunch. And uh, Karen Wildman stands up and she goes, as leaders of the company, it's time you guys know um, a little bit what this means. The people that you're able to impact around the world because of the hard work you're doing to grow this business and make it more profitable. And she went through like the well drilling trucks in Africa, which I knew a little bit about, the Youth for Christ ski trips and some other things. And I knew and the orphanage in Romania that we supported. And again, I knew because I knew the family pieces of it, but not that much in depth. One story I had never heard was she went on to talk about in, in Romania at the time, this would have been back in 2004, I want to say, uh, different government running Romania, different things, right? It's still right. rough right. place there. Adoption rules are different in Romania, healthcare dramatically different. Mm -hmm. So there was a hospital near this orphanage. And um, in Romania, child abandonment was a m huge deal back huge. then. It I still is. That. 
but yeah. but but women could walk into a hospital give birth to a baby and just leave and just leave the baby there right well um because of circumstances these hospitals they didn't have the resources to take care of these babies right so what this particular hospital would do is on fridays they would take these abandoned babies they would wheel them into an abandoned wing of the hospital and shut the doors on monday mornings they would open up these doors and any babies that were still left alive, they would bring them in and care for them oh. until they were old enough to get put into orphanages. And this was step and repeat every single weekend, right? Oh. Oh. I'm listening to this. And just like you guys are feeling now, this isn't a story you hear and don't go, okay, I'm forgetting I heard that. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can't, yeah. you immediately yeah. feel like you got to do something. And that's what happened when Wildman's got exposed to this through that uh, orphanage. And so the company started paying for staffing and supplies to take care of those abandoned babies on the weekends. And in that moment, I remember like hearing that, right? I remember looking down at that pattern, brown pattern carpet on the floor and going, oh my gosh, I'm not out here selling linens and uniforms and stuff. I'm saving lives, right? In that moment, the idea and the impact of purpose through business in a way that saves and impacts lives forever changed my life. That was, mm-hmm. that was really the turning point of where changing the world became my why, right? It took mm-hmm. years to evolve to what it is today, but I never went to work the same way ever again. And then I became incredibly passionate about the idea of why can't every employee of every company feel the exact same way that I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. From the janitor to the CEO, we all do the exact same thing once a day. We all swing our feet to the side of the bed, our feet hit the ground, and we're either happy and excited to go do or we're not, right? And I'm not talking about, oh, I hate my job. I'm talking like, you're gonna have rough days. I'm talking big picture. And I believe businesses are the greatest untapped conduit of personal fulfillment and purpose out there. So that's like my thing is like helping businesses realize that. So one of the ways, of course, having a business like this, even when I got into payments, when I got into payments and I moved away from that, I was like, how do I create the same thing in a scalable manner? And so what I did was, even just as an independent sales partner, I created All for One, and All for One is a program for every four merchant accounts that I personally take care of, I sponsor a child. And I currently have like 27 or 30 kids that I pay for every single month, right? And it's just, it's, it's part of what I do. And then my and customers get a profile all over the world. They're all in the Haiti, okay. Dominican, Uganda, Brazil. I, I vet the organizations I do uh, this through. And that okay. way, I, like the 90% or more, it's a 90% rule. 90% of my donations have to go to the direct user. Otherwise, in my opinion, it's not a strong enough non-for-profit. Um, but, uh, and so these kids are all over the world through organizations. And the idea is I give my merchants a copy of the picture of the profile of the kid that they're directly changing the life of just by doing business with me. They don't have to pay anything. They don't have to do anything. And the cool. idea is not only Very do they cool. feel good, but it's going, wow, what can we do as a business to may- maybe have legacy and impact? And so with Serve, we're doing the same thing, and I'm partnering with Charity Water and, um, and some other water organizations, uh, like Water for Good, to provide well maintenance in Africa. And this is something that we, want, we don't know exactly what that looks like yet, because again, it has to be scalable. A lot of people that try to do good with business end up cutting their legs off because they don't take the time to really think of a scalable way to impact, and, and they overextend um, what, they're, what, they're, what they're giving. So we don't know exactly the metrics around it, but I do know that providing clean water, because it's a foundational thing that builds thing. off of healthcare, yes. you know, infant mortality. Like if you don't have clean water, 
like you've got to address that yeah. before you can address other stuff, right? That's right. And so, you know, providing clean water for people around the world that don't have access to it. I mean, come on. I mean, and, and it's the idea of just by doing the business that we conduct and do every single day without even thinking about it, we have the ability to change a life, to save a life. That's excellent. Cool. Thank awesome. you. That's so well, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So give us some uh, contact info. You said uh, surpayments.com, S-U-R-V payments.com. Yep. And that's where partners can go to learn yep. more about uh, what you got going on. Right, Keith? Absolutely. And then connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm going to be doing some events. I might do one. I'm still toying around doing it open to the public, like the, like how I used to do some for other companies. Yeah. This one would be open to whomever, right? I'm looking yeah. at possibly doing that just as an educational opportunity for the industry in a way to give back and also, oh yeah, help bring a little bit of attention to what we're doing and how we're doing it different. I'm cool. um, looking at doing some stuff like that around the events and yeah. So just kind of stay tuned to see what we have going. Yeah. Love it. Thanks, Keith, always Keith. a pleasure speaking with you. Love hearing what you're doing. Uh, wishing you fantastic success as you move forward. And uh, let's stay in touch, brother. So today's episode is brought to you by Nativia Banking. And I want to talk today about their upcoming events. So it's October 9th and 10th, 2023. It is at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida. This is going to be an event you're not going to want to miss. There's going to be talks in there about banking, um, about you know neo-banking, uh, also, of course, about payments industry in general, payment processing and all of that. But this is an event that's got great speakers, a great lineup. I will be there myself. So if you want to catch up with me, uh, you can head over there and check that out. Um, and so, again, you can just head over to nativia.com slash banking, and you can learn more about all of that. So check it out. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. Hey, Patty, today I want to just do a really quick sales tip. We had such a great conversation with Keith and I want to do just a short one here, just a short tip. So when you're selling merchants, if you're struggling to actually get deals done and get them across the finish line, there's two tips I want to give you that I actually gave to a a sales team I'm working with uh, earlier today. I was talking to them about it. And that is make sure you're separating the concept of getting a yes from getting the paperwork done. And let me explain what I mean by that. There are two very different processes. And if you get them mixed up, you generally lose sales a lot of times. So the first Mm -hmm. process is you got to get the person to say yes. And so sometimes that means you got to use hypotheticals or if statements, you know, well, assuming I can take care of all that and assuming your partner's on board and assuming X, Y, and Z are true, it sounds like we're ready to move forward. Is that correct? Have I earned your business today? Whatever it is. And then digging in and asking questions and, you know, don't talk to the partner until you've sold the other one, you know, really making sure that you are selling people. I think that's super important. Number one, really important. You got to get that. Yes. Then once you get that, yes, then you got to stop trying to sell them. Okay. Now you already Mm -hmm. sold them. Now you move on with urgent, what I call urgent details. So, okay, great. Well, I'm so glad that we're moving forward. I'm looking forward to working with you. I know we're both committed to this relationship. It's going to be fantastic, whatever. Then let me explain what's going to happen next. And you give them a timeline. And then you're like, well, I really need to go back and get the paperwork done. Well, if you call them and say, hey, can you sign the paperwork? Nobody wants to sign paperwork. They're going to be like, oh, call me tomorrow. Instead, you say, hey, the reason I was reaching out to you is we're going to put your order in for that equipment we discussed later today. And I just had a couple of additional questions. Can I swing by for five minutes? 
and they'll say, sure. Right. Can you jump on a Zoom for a couple of minutes? I had a couple other questions. I'm just trying to finish up some details with whatever, you know, your gift cards, or I need to set up a tip prompt, whatever it is, and get them in contact. And now, okay, thanks for answering that. I tell you what, while I've got you on here, let's finish that paperwork real quick. Let me just run through this. But if you just try to keep, you know, I talk to you guys all the time. It's like they go back 10 times, to get the paperwork done. There's a reason they're not signing it. It's that you never sold them in the first place, most likely. Mm -hmm. And then if you did sell them, now you're trying to convince them to do the paperwork. Instead, stop trying to sell them. They're already sold. Don't rebuttal them. Don't argue with them. If they say something like, yeah, we really still need to think about it. Just don't even, don't go down that road. Just don't even acknowledge it. You know and say, well, yeah. And again, I know we're both committed to this partnership. We already have agreed to that. And, and again, I, that's why I said there's no long-term commitment. We're going month to month. So I'm really looking forward to working with you. Now, let me ask you a couple of other questions and just go back to the details, back to the details. Yeah. So yeah. those little tips should help you to hopefully get some deals in the door. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, James, so we have some good news for ATM operators. Uh, the okay. ATM Industry Association just released a new set of data revealing that um, following a significant dip in 2020, the population of ATMs in the U.S. grew by 21,000. Really? Yeah, between wow. 2021 and 2022. I thought that was Great. very surprised. Yeah, I mean, that's. I wouldn't have been surprised if you said that the amount of cash dispersed went up significantly since COVID, but I'm surprised there's more ATM machines out there. That's more awesome. ATM machines. And a lot of that has to do with the banks that are moving out of rural areas. Oh, and, yeah, right. uh, sure. You know, some inner city parts that they're moving out of. That's what they seem to uh, suggest. Very interesting. That, um, you know, there's a lot of closing of branches, uh, remote sparsely, in remote sparsely populated areas. That's a lot. That creates, a, and I think we had a, what, what was the gentleman we had on here a couple months ago, the ATM guy? Yeah, it was Star um, Financial. Yeah, Notice. and they were talking about, yeah, they go into these underbanked areas, and that's, yep. I think, what's happening. Yep. So now there's about somewhere between 520 and 540,000 ATMs in the U.S. Wow. Pinpointing the number beyond that is almost impossible because sure. many terminals have multiple IDs and, you know, right. et cetera. Sure. Um, but the, 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 the results dovetail with data from the Fed, which indicates cash holdings have increased sharply since the pandemic by about 28%. Mm. And although the number of cash withdrawals at ATMs is down, consumers are on averaging withdrawing more cash at each ATM visit. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, ATMI, yeah, I'm not surprised when he said that, you know, all of this is good signs for a independent ATM deployers. Right. Um, you know, ATMs may seem old school, but manufacturers and deployers have been working them to bring them into the 21st century. I know yeah. you and I talked at one point about um, crypto ATMs, where you could yeah, buy and sell sure. crypto, for example. Sure. We now also have contactless ATMs, also known as cardless mm -hmm. ATMs, that allow individuals to access accounts without physical cards using their, their phones, apps mm -hmm. on their phones. Yeah. Um, you know, another trend that ATM deployers and the card brands um, don't like are cashless ATMs. You know, we've talked about this yes. in the past. Sure. And how it's one way that pot shops have been trying to get around the card brand strictures. 
Both right. Visa and MasterCard have now gone on the record of saying these schemes violate network rules. Ma uh, MasterCard was the latest in instructing U.S. banks in July to stop allowing the use of MasterCard debit cards for cannabis purchases. Right. But here's an interesting postscript I wanted to share. I went to my local shop in September. I had been using cash or a mobile app that was connected to my bank. Right. CanPay. Right. And uh, I was told that the CanPay app was on the blitz. It was on the fritz, but huh. I could use my debit card for a cashless ATM payment. Huh. When I said the, the devices were, you know, that that process was banned by Visa and MasterCard, the shop worker said they didn't know anything about it, but the device had only recently been installed and was very popular. <laughs> so much for network edicts. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I Isn't mean, that I, I mean, it was literally after huh. MasterCard came out. I happen to, you know, day or two right. later, I happen to walk in the shop and they said, oh yeah, we just put it in. Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's, it's one of those things where it's very difficult for the card brands to wrap their, their hands around. I mean, yeah. they figured out one way, but then you can just shift. And, and so it's very difficult to be able to tell what that, that transaction is and be able to differentiate and, it, yeah. you know? And I think, I think uh, the folks at Star were explaining to us, and I think this is the one way that the ATM operators can, is that particular shop that I was talking about had an ATM. And I'm betting their ATM volume is way down. Right, right. If people are using their debit. Now, if I was the operator, I'd say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Right, right, yeah. Well, I will say, since we're talking about this here, um, you know, uh, if you head over to gowithstar.com, I looked it up from Jonas, you were just right. talking about that we had earlier right. with Star Financial. So that's a good one where you can do the ATM resellers. It's funny, Patty, because as you know, I wasn't a huge fan of ATM a few years ago when we first started kind of talking about it. You and it. I had that as our differing point. We did. I think we both agree now, right? Uh, yeah, because to your point earlier, what's interesting to me is, and especially now, even working with Nativia Banking and all of that too, just mm -hmm. seeing the fact that there are certain functions that have to be done at a physical device or location, like getting right. cash, depositing checks, certain things that are, I mean, you can do that mobile deposit, but you know, there's just, there are certain things right. that are better. And I think what's going to be interesting is, as you mentioned, as, as bank branches, as they close physical branches, something has to be left behind. And I think that's going to be the ATM. And I think the ATMs are going to become more and more um, necessary in that way. And, and they're so, going to become more sophisticated. It's going yes. to be more than just a yes. cash dispenser. Yes. I think having a bunch of locations that have ATM machines that you've placed, not a bad idea. So uh, again, go with star.com would be a good one to check out uh, on that one. So thanks for the update, Patty. Sure thing. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.